Welcome to Coffee in an Interview. I'm Jacqueline Pena, and I'm here today with Sara Casper, who's here to talk about comprehensive consent with us. How are you today? Doing well, Jacqueline. How are you? I'm great. I'm great this morning. Thank you for joining us for this interview. Um, you know, we think about consent in so many different ways. And today we're actually talking about comprehensive consent in a way that I hadn't imagined it before. And so why don't we dive in with an operational definition? How do you define comprehensive consent? Sure. So if you, you know, look at the dictionary or Google, what is consent is a pretty basic definition of like permission or agreement to do something. And that's a fine, quick definition. But when it comes to um, consent, it it really needs to be, we need to think more comprehensively. And what I mean by that is that we have to think about what are the power dynamics at play? What are, um, how is someone asking? How is someone either saying yes or saying no? So it's not just about an agreement, it's how you get to the agreement too. And so in terms of an operational definition, I never really give one because it's constantly a working and evolving thing. And each scenario calls for um, a different kind of awareness. Got it. Uh, Very interesting. And it's not just about the agreement, but how you get to the agreement and this awareness piece. Um, So in terms of this kind of work, how did you get into this kind of work? What were the experiences that got you into comprehensive consent? Yeah, so so I'm a consent educator, and um, and most people think that what that means is that I'm kind of like a sex educator, but it's really more yeah, but it's really more. Um, I think of myself as like a social emotional educator because it's really about navigating communication. So how I first got into this work was actually through acrobatics, believe it or not. Um, yeah, <laughs> um, so in partner acrobatics or acro yoga or acrobatic yoga, it's people are, think like kind of Cirque du Soleil, but not as impressive. So people may be like standing on other people's shoulders or being turned around on their feet or jumping into someone's hands. And so there has to be a lot of good communication around people's comfort zones, Mm -hmm. safety, um, tickle spots, (laughs) um, um, experience what they would like to try, what they wouldn't like to try, et cetera. So there's a lot of conversation about that agreement, specifically about the body, but it's not sexual at all. And so it turns out that this is a skill that we need to learn because, you know, when I was growing up, when you were growing up, probably it wasn't a thing to talk about. Do I have permission over who touches my body and who doesn't, you know? You give grandma a hug, it's just done. You, you grab someone's hand to cross the street. Um, in the worst case scenario, you know, corporal punishment and, you know, to many different degrees. So it, I really, my eyes were open to this idea that it's a skill to communicate about the body mm-hmm. and, to, and to navigate that conversation. And I was thinking, how cool would it be if we taught kids and taught parents to teach kids how to navigate their body and talk about it. And it's an interesting perspective too, because a lot of times, especially for us women, um, when we think about consent, we're, 
we have it drilled in our heads to think about sexual consent and we're always thinking about sexual consent and sexual abuse and things like that but consent is so much broader that's why i love the term comprehensive consent it's not just a sexual thing and a lot of times you know you know maybe maybe we don't want to hug this person or maybe we don't want this person to hold our hand doing this or maybe you know i'm socializing as an adult and someone touches me or grabs my hand or and it's it, it's invading a space that i haven't quite defined because i don't have the skills for that so i think this notion of comprehensive consent is going to be new to a lot of our listeners it was definitely very new to me because of the way i think about consent and i'm sure you've seen that a lot, right? Yeah, it's a lot about navigating boundaries. And especially as women, again, you know, it's, we were, we've been told what is expected of us and what we should do to be ladylike and to be um, uh, docile. And, and we, it's, so it's really hard to set those boundaries, especially when no one's asking. So now we're not just being told to say, to say no, we have to be, say, we have to say stop which are two different skills in themselves because asking someone a question and then getting an answer is different than cutting them off in the middle. Um, so yeah, it's, it's definitely new, but it, it, it's comprehensive because it flows in every area of life, right? From acrobatic yoga to sex to, to setting your boundaries for not going to your friend's birthday party because you really need some time to yourself. I like this segue right here because um, now we're talking about situations that we could all face, real life situations, social, professional, um, as a woman, as a man, sexual, as a child, as a teenager. There are so many situations. What are some skills that we could use in imagining some, some of these situations? So let's go to the adult side. You have a friend who um, needs time for herself, so she wants to say no to going to this birthday party. How do? What are the skills? How do we navigate these uncomfortable social interactions or situations as adults using uh, comprehensive consent skills? Yeah, the first, <laughs> I think the most important skill is the idea of that, of I statements and that multiple, like I call them truths exist, right? We each see the world through our own lens. Mm -hmm. So your friend might be really sad that you're not at her birthday party and that's 100% valid. Her emotions are so valid. And you also 100% know that you need to, to have a break. And so it's about what is that communication between both of your needs? It's not, um, I, I'm gonna be sad if you don't come to my birthday party so you should come or I need time away, I need time alone, so I don't have to go to your birthday party. It's both of those things exist. Like, mm -hmm. you're gonna be sad, I need space, and it's like kind of like a yes and, and so what can we do? And the answer is like at the end of the day, each person has the autonomy, has the freedom to make their own decisions and shouldn't feel guilted to to come to a different decision. That doesn't mean that you can't navigate something like, how would you feel about coming for a half hour? You know, mm -hmm. that's still a lot, but it's coming from a place not of 
you are owed, you owe me something, but coming from a place of expressing yourself and also being open to whatever the answer might be. You can be open to hearing a no from your friend and still be sad about it, right? We don't have to remove that negative emotion. So I think really sharing, so that I statement, like sharing where you're coming from, like this is what I am feeling or, um, yeah, coming from a place of this is where I am feeling and coming from a place of what are you feeling mm-hmm. and communicating about that as opposed to communicating with these expectations. Uh, that's a good way. Those I statements, communicating what you're feeling with those I statements rather than uh, expectations. And then there's like a negotiation of sorts, but it's, it sounds terrible. It sounds like a contract. But what I mean is, Um, I'm open, I'm listening. And I say, okay, well, how would you feel about maybe coming for 30 minutes towards the end? And I'll pack some cake and food for you to take home. And maybe in my eye statement, I say, you know, I feel that I might not be ready yet at that point, but I can let you know in two hours. So it's, it's that communication that's so important. Wow. I needed you in my life a long time ago because communication skills are like, (laughs) that's exactly what it is. It's not consent is not about touch. Consent is about communication. 100%. Yeah. And it's, and it's, I also don't like the word negotiation, but I do kind of use it, but even negotiating, like, thanks for telling me that you're not feeling well. Can I call you tomorrow to see if you want to hang out? Even that's like a, a navigation or a negotiation of like respecting someone else's feeling and also stating your own feelings and and wants or needs. Yeah, and I can see how I really needed you in my, even when I was married, I mean, the communication skills here in terms of this notion of comprehensive consent, how much better would our communication have been if we had approached it from this, um, from this perspective? And now I'm thinking professionally for many of us in the professional setting, we have a lot of challenges and don't know how to navigate that in this world, you know, with with the angle or the perspective of comprehensive consent. And you've just given us a communication tool that we can use there as well, a skill that we can use in the professional setting. I don't know if you have any experience or any examples of that in a professional setting before we jump into our younger Folks, before we start jumping into children and teenagers, do you have anything for professional by any chance? In terms of work settings, it, it's really difficult because we put such a high value on work in our society. And there there is sometimes expectations to go beyond your boundaries and work extra hard because that's what the culture is. And it's, it's really difficult. And if it's your livelihood, it's a case-by-case basis. I think someone... I think if you are stating your boundaries in a clear and kind way and someone is saying to you, I don't care, this is what I want, you let that be like, like mark that. Note that that person doesn't know how to respect your boundaries. And you can either maybe set up a time to to navigate that and and talk about boundary setting. I don't recommend doing it in the moment. Mm -hmm. Um, Take some time. But I think it can be a note for like thinking about if you want to continue to work under that boss, maybe you need to, again, because of livelihood, but when, and it's the same with any kind of relationship, even with a, with like a parent child. And I mean, even like older, like adult children and their parents of just like that relationship is probably going to be there forever, but you can still notice how they, 
how they react to your boundaries. And that doesn't make your boundaries any less valid. Mm-hmm. That's a very, very good point. I'm just thinking about some of those uh, work environments and some of them can be very toxic. And, um, and here you're right. You need to carve out that time to think through it. And then not in that moment later on, have that conversation and, um, and see how that goes. But then again, as adults, it's, it's learning how to time it right, when is the right time to be able to have that honest conversation because you can't always have that kind of conversation in the heat of a moment, whether it's in a, a social interaction or an intimate relationship situation or with a, a boss or a supervisor. Yeah, and I think also clarifying expectations is, is a really important thing. So they want you to, to stay late every night of the week and it's it's no longer staying late it's just you're working hours at that point in this and and so talking about that expectation and then when you clarify it you can you know kind of cite back and say you know we talked about this Mm -hmm. and these are your expectations I'm reminding you of this conversation Mm -hmm. you know to to go back on yeah we're back to Yeah. So that's another key point, clarifying those expectations. Mm -hmm. So what about when we're working now with children and teenagers? The world is just so different. Mm -hmm. And um, there's so many different situations that children and teenagers face. And then the age issue, I, I hate that I use the word issue, but, you know, because of the age, you also have this authority uh piece that comes to play, right? I'm younger, that person's older. What what can I truly say if I don't feel comfortable or I don't want this? So how, how do you work in this fear with children and teenagers? What are some skills, some things we need to be mindful of when working on comprehensive consent with our younger uh, folks? Yeah, with, with younger folks, it's a lot about reminding ourselves that children are their own individual beings. That doesn't mean they're not dependent because, oh yes, they are. <laughs> we all know that. But they, they have their own feelings, their own ideas, their own sensitivities. And, and so it's the idea of like power with versus power over. So if you have power over someone, you are making all the decisions for them. And then don't be surprised when they're 18 years old and they feel like they don't get to make a decision about what they do with their body in an intimate relationship because they've been told, you know, their whole life, they don't get to make decisions. And so that's where that comes from. Whereas if you have power with you, you're asking them how this is my solution to the problem, Right do you have any other ideas? And it doesn't mean you take their idea, but you at least validate that idea and maybe decide to use it another time and remind them that it was their idea or talk through the difficult emotion and talk through that it's still valid, even though we still got to go to the doctor's office. I see that you're angry. I've been angry too. Um, And kind of talking through. And sometimes, honestly, their ideas are better than ours. (laughs) It is a really good, clever solution. Like, why don't we do that? And that now they already see, and then they see also that like together you've decided on an outcome. And obviously that depends what age, but even, but even in like 
in infancy, when you're changing a child's diaper, you can talk to them about, I hear you crying. As soon as you can change your own diaper, right? You can change it, but you can't. So I need to, as opposed to stop crying. Um, you know, we do this every time. Like it, it, it's about validating their emotions and really reminding them that they have, that they are independent beings who have choice. Mm-hmm. I like this concept. It, you, you frame it in a way that's so easy for us to grasp. So this idea of power over versus power with, and um, how do you implement that power with framework instead of that power over? So how do you have those conversations? So you frame it in a way that, that it's a takeaway. We get it. We can apply it. We understand it. And that's very much, um, actually, I just to give credit where credit's due, that's an idea from the disabilities rights movement, actually, the the idea of like, uh, nothing about us without us, basically, every civil rights movement, you know, Mm -hmm. no taxation without representation, like it goes all the way back. But it's the same idea of, we are all independent beings. So, so we should, while we can't make all of the decisions for ourselves, because I can't just drive through a red light and decide I'm not, you know, that's dangerous. I don't get to, I don't have entire, I need to follow some rules in order for society to function. Um, There are a lot of places where a lot of us have been told we don't have choice where we really do and should. And and I feel that for, for us as adults, we need to identify those moments where we do have a right to make a decision and help our children, our teenagers, and young adults be able to see that and help them navigate that. Uh, again, the age piece and the authority, I think, makes it a little bit harder for them to see when they can contribute, when they can make their own decisions or make a joint decision uh, in terms of this whole world of consent, whatever it is that we're looking at. So I think for us as adults, it's important to look at our children, look at our teenagers, our young adults, and be able to guide them through that. I wish I had that as a as a teenager, young adult. You know, you have the cultural piece, you have the age piece, you have the, you know, you're gonna be a woman because you're a young lady piece. And we don't really get the tools to to navigate and we are not too clear as to when do I really have a right to say something? When do I have a right to make a decision? And I think that is so tricky for so many of us. So I, this is definitely a great toolkit for us to use. Yep. And there's also, and then there's that differentiation making me think about like the right to make a decision and then the decision not to speak up. Like you can still have both of those. You can know what they are doing is unfair to me, but because of whatever situation I'm in and the landscape of it, which culture I'm in, which whatever, I am going to choose to act differently. For me, it was a big thing. Um, I come from a religious Jewish family and I used to hate wearing skirts around them. And that was like, I was supposed to do that. But once I started to understand that I didn't have to wear skirts, I was totally okay with going to their house and wearing skirts. Cause I was like, oh, I'm not doing it cause I have to, because I've been told this is right and wrong. I'm doing this out of respect. Right. Or I'm doing this out of, um, you know, maybe in certain, maybe in certain cases you do something out of safety. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it's not that you're doing something because you think you have no choice. It's not a resigning. It's an empowering, um, which I think is a very different um, 
just perspective on it. Very well said. It is very empowering when you know, when you have the all the information you need and you know why people are asking you to do certain things or telling you maybe that, you know, they're telling you to do certain things. You get the information you need and you say, you know what? Um, this makes sense. I want to show respect. I'm going to use your example. I want to show respect in my grandmother's house. I, I feel very comfortable wearing the skirt to show respect, but I'm choosing to do that. I'm making my own decision, an informed decision. And that is very empowering to be able to make your own decision, but it's an informed decision. You're not forced into it. And and that's what we want to teach our, our children, our teachers. You're 14 and be like, yeah, you got it. <laughs> oh, you're making me think, well, you, you so got it. And it's making me think about how you spoke about how just our world is so different. And so I teach consent mostly in terms of like physical touch. But obviously, since it's about communication, it, it bleeds over into so many areas. And one thing I do now is, is also talk about... Um, the idea of like consent online and like communication online. And it's such a difference between if you block a website and say, you can't go to this website versus if you can inform the child to make good decisions about going to the website, right? In the first situation, they're gonna do everything to get over that hurdle and kids are more tech savvy than us and they will figure it out, you know? (laughs) They'll use their friend's phone, whatever it is, they'll figure it out. But if you talk about what the website is and give them and give them the the chance to make good decisions sometimes they won't make good decisions but then they'll learn from them and then you can talk about them and have that communication between parent and child which is ultimately more important than whatever they see on the internet and not in my opinion right you want them to come to you for the important things and, and know that you're a safe person who won't get who who won't be punitive but who will be supportive um, you know, what they see on the internet, honestly, might be punishment enough. <laughs> um, but it's really that idea, yeah, of, of are you being forced into this situation or are you choosing this situation? Mm-hmm. I like that that framework as well. Are you being forced into the situation or are you, what was the other term? Uh, choosing. Choosing. So yeah. being forced or choosing. And, you know, you opened up a whole new world that I hadn't even thought about in terms of comprehensive consent. And it's the online world <laughs> and it's, it's all the, uh, you know, the, the apps and the games and the, and, and, you know, back in my day when AOL first came out, it was about chat rooms and a few websites, but nothing was crazy. Like, you know, porn sites or people chatting inappropriately. Now this world is completely different. And sometimes we block, we just block apps. Now we have ways of blocking apps or turning down the iPad, but we're not really, giving the information to our children, our teenagers, so that they can make that informed decision or at least understand why we're saying, you know, let's not use that app anymore. Let's not go to that website anymore. But it would be so much better if you can decide that together. Yeah, we're not gonna go into that website anymore. Um, And so giving them that information is another big part for that conversation to empower them to make that decision instead of forcing them to do it helping them choose that direction choosing not to do it totally and like for younger kids sure block the sites like they they're not looking for it they don't care to go around it but like once kids have like are aware of social media and their friends have it too you know that's when it, it becomes about making good choices because that's where their friend groups are more powerful influence than parents. Mm-hmm. 
and if you just block sites, you're going to lose that you lose that influence entirely. That's a good point. So, so you're giving us a lot of tips and frameworks, the power over, power with, uh, the, uh, this kind of oper, uh, operational definition, no, but what this framework of comprehensive consent really is, um, this conversation about forcing versus choosing, being forced into and choosing. So lots of great tools, uh, communication of expectations, navigating the situation, so many great tools and frameworks that we can use for consent at any age. But a lot of your work is really specializing on children, I believe, not teenagers as much, or maybe some teenagers. I would say like tweens to teenagers. Okay, there you go. No, I, I don't I don't really work with 18 year olds, 17 year olds, not so much, but I would say till about 15. Okay. Okay. So that's a that's that's the age group there. What kind of work do you do in terms of comprehensive consent, especially because you focus on this age group? What's the work that you normally do? So most of the work that I do is with parents. Uh-huh. And eventually the plan is with teachers, but for now it's with parents because this this is as you say, it's like a framework. So it's something that really needs to be reinforced and lived. So I could, you know, do a one hour session with kids, you know, with eight year olds about consent and their autonomy and all of that. And then the Zoom session's over because everything's on Zoom now. And the Zoom (laughs) session's over and nothing changes because their parents are still used to how they were um, raised and they're, uh, they're not able to follow up with questions for me. There's not, there's not that ongoing open dialogue. And it's really about that ongoing open dialogue because each situation is different. It's not like technical skills where you learn how to use, you know, Microsoft Word and then you're set, <laughs> right? It's, it's, it's about navigating like, oh, now siblings are in the mix and or there's a divorce family and so we have to navigate that and uh or there's someone with a disability so we have to like move them and and handle them in that way with consent like there's every uh, every situation is going to be different and so it's really about rethinking the environment that you're creating in your house as opposed to just reminding children that they have their body autonomy because that happens right now. I mean, it's a great start that like in schools, you know, they say like hands on your own body, like you're in charge of your own body. And that's awesome. And that's such a good place to start. And it's, and there's so much good intention. And if you say your body is yours and then you grab the child's hand to cross the street it doesn't matter what you say, the actions speak louder. And so it's really about teaching parents to restructure how their child thinks about their own body and their own autonomy. And because what we learn in childhood really does set up a big framework for how we think about an adult. It doesn't mean we can't change it. You know, it's not too late to change it. I didn't learn this in adulthood and I teach it now. I mean, I didn't learn this in childhood and I teach it now. But there are still, but if you can teach it in childhood, oh, they're going to be, they're going to be so much better. Like, they're going to be like, what do you mean you just touched me? Like, no one's allowed to touch me. 
like the, I'm not used to that. Whereas now like, oh, I am used to that. Um, yeah, so that's, so, so most of my work is with children really for that uh, reason. As Dan Heath, one of my favorite authors says, he writes a book that, about that's like upstream thinking, right? So it's not about, pre, it's not about dealing with situations once they happen. So it's not about talking about sexual consent when you're 16 or whatever age. It's about being preventative and setting the expectation that yes, you you have control over your body and you know that like in like inside, like capital K, know that. Yeah. <laughs> like that sounds weird, but yes, capital K. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm thinking capital C because I think you can say. Yeah. But you know it internally, that capital K. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because you're focusing on parents because you want to build something lasting. So how do you create, how do you teach parents this framework and then help them in implementing it? And I love how you talked about how parents have to rethink the environment in their house. I started writing notes about modeling, for example, parents modeling the behavior. So it's really adopting that framework in the house and for themselves while teaching that framework to their children because they'll teach it, but you know the, the children will hear it but now they're going to see it. They're going to live it. And it's about being more intentional, I think, about consent and using the framework. 100%. It's about being more intentional. It's about modeling. And what's really, what, what is nice for parents, even though this is a really hard thing to do because you just want to like scoop up and hug your kiddo. Um, what is really nice is that you now have permission to set boundaries too, right? You're a person also, and you can model for them how setting boundaries look and just because you set a boundary, it doesn't mean that you don't love someone. Mm-hmm. But because that's that; those are sometimes the most difficult boundaries to set, are with the people we love. You know, if someone I don't like wants to touch me, like, oh, easy, like, no, thank you. Yeah. But if if my partner wants to touch me and I'm not feeling it, I don't want them to doubt my love for them. And so, if you, as a parent, can set up a situation where you're communicating your boundaries and still showing love, and your child can understand that boundaries equal love and not boundaries don't equal love. Uh, that's really powerful and really empowering for parents and kind of like a sigh of relief um, because parenting is a lot and really hard. Um, so that's that's just one piece, yeah, about like the modeling. And then in terms about how parents can teach it to their children, I find it easiest to break it down into like, into skills. Mm because skills are something that are generalizable, can be built upon, you can reflect on them, you can get feedback on them. So like the skill of identifying affirmative consent, right? So affirmative consent means there's a clear yes and a clear non-coerced or non-forced yes. So you can, when you're watching TV even, you can be like, oh, was there, was there, and you don't have to use the term affirmative consent. You can say, was there a clear yes? You know, was there a clear yes there? Or like, what would you have done differently in that situation? How would you have asked differently? And only focus on ask for that week or that month or whatever. And then you can talk about the answer. Mm-hmm. Oh, how did that, the way that person said no, how did you th- How did you feel about that? That was kind of a, a mean no, right? You know, like, or, and you just talk about what that means. And then you can play, I, I have a course where we, I have tons of games and activities where you can do with your child also where like a child gets to say no to their parent to practice saying no to someone they love. 
and about something they love. And it's really about having fun with it, but also the biggest part is getting the conversation about it and have them start thinking about the process of asking for permission, saying no, changing your mind, reading body language, um, being specific, because that's a big piece of, of consent also is right. Like a hug is great, but what if the hug is too tight, right? You can say something about it because it's not just a hug or no hug. It's there are so many variations of hugs. Um, and so how I teach it is again, and that's why it also needs to be ongoing is because it is so dynamic and changing. And if I gave all of this information, even if I could fit it all into one day, they gave it all in eight hours, you would, it wouldn't, it wouldn't, you wouldn't process it. Yeah. Uh, slow and steady, slow and steady. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And make mistakes when you're, when you're in those low stakes environments of hugs, you know, stumble and, and reflect and get better. And then when you're, by the time you're older, by the time you're involved in more high stakes situations, you, you've already got the skills. You've already practiced them. You've already reflected. You've already gotten feedback, all of that. I like, so I, I, I like how you, again, you take the framework, you take the skill, and then you break it down into very clear do's, like activities, all right, as you're watching TV, you know, ask these questions, have these conversations. So I can see this work being, you know, long-term work because you want to help develop these skills in parents. And we're talking about schools in a minute, but develop these skills in parents. And so, um, you know, you need time to do that and time for them to try something and come back and reflect. I think it's, uh, I, I can see a, a parent circle here <laughs> and uh, working, but I can see why it's a lot for one shot, like one, one retreat. And there's so many great things we can take away from even the approach that you're presenting, because I'm thinking even as an adult trying to navigate complicated situations with other females uh, in my home, let's say, or with, with friends in social situations or in intimate relationships, that great example about how do you have this conversation uh, within the framework of comprehensive consent when, you know, your partner wants to, you know, be, you know, be embrace you or be intimate that night and you're just not there and, and you need to explain why and be able to have that conversation. These are just some great skills. I'm telling you, where were you 30 years ago in my life? <laughs> 20, 30 years ago. <laughs> That's the other thing too is why you need to go slow is because parents are relearning too. Adults are relearning this. So that's the other piece of it is, is adults need a second to process it themselves and kind of reparent themselves so that they can parent their child. Mm-hmm. And that's a good, that's a good point because I'm not a parent, but let's say I were a parent, I would have to learn these skills for myself and be able to use them in my life in order to be able to teach these skills to my children uh, as effectively as possible. So I can see where there's a lot of work where the parents are doing a lot of work while empowering their children. They're empowering themselves too, but that's hard work, especially as you get older, I think, because you have to it's not delete old records inside of you, but you have to kind of modify ways of thinking. There's just so much going on that's been ingrained in you for so long. And it's hard to even think about those things and reflect and process. That's just, a, that's a lot of work, but it's important work in order to be able to then do this work with your children. Yeah. 
Yeah, and for yourself, right? And for it's yourself, win-win. It's a it's a win-win difficult. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Like, but it's a win-win. Yeah, it's a win-win. Doesn't mean it's easy. And um, I know you're working with parents right now as a way to really empower children because that's the more lasting model. But are you going into schools at all? Is this part of the work or the conversation that you're having in terms of comprehensive consent? So with schools, um, well, given that that's a pandemic, no, I'm not going into school. No, yeah. <laughs> and I do feel a sort of way over doing this, about about doing this over Zoom. But I, I, for kids who are, I would say, under the age, ten, eleven, and younger, it's really about either training the parents mm-hmm. or training the teachers. Mm-hmm. Right, it's, it's providing them with those skills because those are the biggest influencers in their life. That's the environment they spent most of their time in. They mostly have, for the most part, there are positive relationships there. Obviously there aren't always, but that's the general feeling. Once kids start entering that like tween angsty years, that's when those relationships become more difficult. And so that's where I will go in myself and still not over one day, it's not a one hour workshop, um, but over a few times do those skills with the kids in a way where I am like an outside person and that almost works in my benefit. And, but I will always have the teachers present so that they are at least absorbing some of it too. So I'm not talking to them, but they're, um, they're understanding it. And the same way where like, teachers, you know, of second graders still might have to like physically move their, or feel like they have to move the children still. And like, they're still a little floppy is what I call them. <laughs> like, you know, kids of, who are like six or seven, but once you're 11 years old, like there's really no reason for it teach, unless it's for like violence or aggression, like for a teacher to be touching you. So it's just not the same. It's not the same dynamic. Um, so I, so I do teach it directly to kids about 11 and up. Okay. Um, but before that, it's all about, I can come in, but it's not, I mean, yeah, it's not useful. It's really not, it's not a good use of anyone's time. Yeah. And I can, I can see in the future, I don't know if you're going in this direction, but I can see professional development for teachers as well. Part of their professional development having um, some of these frameworks that they can then use if they choose to. So empowering our teachers with these frameworks as well. I think that I I can see myself as a teacher, how empowering this is. I work with um, more high school students and college students, so I'm a college instructor, but I have high school students in my classes. So I can already see how I can use this framework, especially because I'm mixing these age groups. I'll have high school students sitting in the same room with, you know, 18, 19 year olds and 40 year olds. And how do you have, how do you use this framework to make this the most comfortable space possible and to really empower your students to fe- to make themselves comfortable, to feel comfortable in this setting? Yeah, yeah, there was, I mean, growing up, there was definitely that idea of like, respect your elders, mm-hmm. but like, respect everybody. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And like, and so, but like, so we have those like phrases ingrained in our minds. And so for us, it's a lot of like, relearning and, and, and because that's how we were parented, often that's how we parent. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. So, and so even right in the classroom with, with 40 year olds and 18 year olds, respect the 40 year olds, respect the 18 year olds, mm-hmm. you know, all autonomous being. Do the 40 year olds have some like 
cooler stories because they've lived longer. Sure. But like, that doesn't mean the 18 year old input is invalid and they might have cooler stories anyway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, definitely. So definitely a lot that we can do with these framework, this framework of comprehensive consent and the different perspectives and frameworks within that, that you've provided us today. Um, actually, as we're coming to the end, let me ask, is there um, any advice for um, a parents, any listeners who are not parents, adults, teenagers, anyone listening to this, is there any advice or any additional tips that you might want to share with anyone that we might not have covered in terms of this big framework of comprehensive consent, especially in the society we live in today? And we're in this pandemic, we have this online world, we're just, there's a lot more going on today than 20, 30 years ago when I was in school. Yeah, I think, I think general, some general like pillars and like easy reminders is that you can't make assumptions about what other people are thinking or feeling, right? So to say they're not coming to my birthday party because they think they're better than me, like that, that is an assumption, right? And to go in with that assumption, even, and that is a possibility of one of, of what they might think. But don't just assume that. Ask them, talk to them, communicate, because that's how we move forward. So that's one thing is just don't make assumptions, right? Don't make assumptions that your kid wants to be picked up because you, they love you, right? Maybe that's, that's not how they feel love. Maybe they feel love through you playing a game with them and you picking them up makes them just feel uncomfortable and squeamish. Mm-hmm. Um, so that one works across the board. Um, no one... and. We didn't focus, again, we went into a lot of different areas, but just the idea that anyone has the right to your body is just false, right? Like the whether it's your partner or it's your parent, like no one has, has the right to decide what happens to your body except you. Um, That's a good one. That's a powerful one too. The powerful one. And it's a complicated one, um, but at its it's complicated in action, but at its core, it's real, it's real basic, right? Mm-hmm. It's you, you live in your body, no one else does. So you, only you have the right to it. Um, trying to think of any other like last pieces. Ask first. I mean, that kind of goes along with the don't make assumptions is that's why it's so important to ask um, and important to check in, right? That doesn't mean if you like, I, I have my best friend in the world. I don't ask her every time I hug her. But if she told me specifically that day she was in a bad mood, yeah, I ask her if she wants a hug or not. You know, if something's different, if I, I pay attention, um, but until you have that really, like this is my best friend in the world, like until you have that established relationship, ask first. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's, cause there's, you can't make assumptions and everyone has the right to their body. That's what, that's. Those are big ones. Yeah. That, that we can use navigating through home life, social life, professional lives, again, along with the rest of this framework. Um, is there anything I didn't get to ask you about? I guess this could be our final question that I didn't get to ask you about that you want to share. You shared your pillars. We got into, you know, you have the right to your own body. No, no one else does. Um, anything else in terms of the comprehensive consent framework or the work you're going to be doing next? Because I know that 
you're always creating new opportunities to really be able to uh, learn this framework and use this framework. So anything that I didn't get to ask you about the framework and uh, opportunities coming up, where you're going next? Yeah, uh, I think in terms of the framework we covered, we covered really, we, the, like, this is a beautiful big picture of, of what comprehensive consent is all about. And then it comes to, to the nitty gritty, right? Where like where the work really is. Once you understand it conceptually, it's where the work really is. So I have, um, so first people can find me at comprehensiveconsent.com. Um, and on Instagram, I'm at comprehensiveconsent. Uh, on comprehensiveconsent, I am always shooting off new like reframings and restructurings and ways to think differently about communication, boundaries, consent. Uh, I, my platform's a lot of education there. Um, and then I also offer um, a course for parents called Boundary Setting Bootcamp, oh. which is all about, yeah, it's a 12 week program where parents learn a consent skill and then have a lesson to teach it to their child. It's like a mindfulness component and games and activities and discussion questions. Um, and it's a self-paced course. The idea is that it's every week, but you can, if you need to skip a week because your schedule is crazy, like that does happen. And so uh, there's no like time requirement. Uh, so that is definitely a really great starting point. And that's for parents of kids ages six to 12. Uh, and then um, I always have, and then in terms of workshops and webinars, those are always changing up with whatever the needs are. So I'm a, so when we're recording this, I'm, I'm holding one about consent culture online soon. I'll be doing one for consent culture in the home. Uh, cause these are all different scenarios. And for each age that, that nitty gritty is going to be a little bit different. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah. And so, and so for the future, that's what it is. It's about continuing to impair, empower adults and kids to, to know that their body is theirs and that other people's bodies are theirs as well. That's a good point too. Not just about ourselves, but understand that those are their bodies too. So how do we empower ourselves, but how do we make sure we respect and protect those around us? Um, and in terms of the work you're doing, I just want to encourage our listeners to follow you on Instagram, to check out your website periodically so that they can get information about new workshops or opportunities, or just to learn more about this framework and who you are and what you do in terms of your work with the Comprehensive Consent Framework with parents and, and children. I think this, this conversation, I'm, I, I know I've said this twice already, but man, if you only had been in my life, you know, 20 years ago, at least, you know, it doesn't have to be 30 years ago, but I think that this framework is so important for us. Uh, it's very helpful. Thank you for this toolkit. Whether we're looking at our home lives, our intimate lives, our social lives, um, parents, you know, whether we're the parents with children or we're the children now living with parents or taking care of parents when we get older in our professional world, workplaces can be very complex. And because there's money and there's a need for a job for many of us, those conversations get very complicated. And this idea of comprehensive consent, this idea of consent and being able to voice expectations and really navigate that space together becomes complex there. So um, definitely a, a wonderful toolkit that 
that we can use in almost any part, in every part of our lives, along with some ways to develop some of these skills in such a short period of time. You know, thank you for giving us this today. It, it really is very valuable for me right now. I mean, I'm just thinking of all these situations I could have handled much better and thinking about how I can use this in the future. But for our listeners, I hope you got as much out of this as I did. Um, in this conversation about comprehensive um, consent and the framework. And again, all these resources will be listed under the description of the episode. So you could just click on the link and go there as well. Um, thank you so much for being here. I know you're a very busy person and you're doing all this amazing work during a pandemic via Zoom. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. And I also just want to say it is a practice, right? We're going to stumble. We're going to fall. You can always get back up. The, it, it's about wanting to implement these principles. It's really about a practice. Um, I, I make mistakes too. You know, we're humans. That's how it goes. I can't thank you enough for having This is such a great conversation. I really, yeah, you expanded by me a few times. I was like, yes, exactly. And that makes me think about that. So it was, it was really lovely to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, great conversation over a cup of coffee and um, and definitely very informative. Thank you for being with us today. And hopefully we'll talk again soon to learn more about the work you're doing as you transition with more work for parents, but also work for schools post-pandemic.